Welcome to the Vale Podcast. Local people, local news, local stories. Now, I've been sitting on this one for a while, for many reasons, which will probably become apparent as you listen to this conversation. We're keen to do more like it, so it's time to shut my eyes and just do it. First of all, let me say that this episode discusses some pretty heavy topics like domestic violence and mental illness, and this music bed's probably a little bit too upbeat for these topics. However, we'll move on. But if any of this content is distressing or triggering for you, then please seek help listed in the show notes like 1-800-RESPECT, 1-800-737-732. This is one story written by Kirsten Lloyd for Mildura Living Magazine's Autumn 2022 issue. In 2019, Kim O'Reilly's life was changed forever when she was violently assaulted by her then partner. In the years since, she's taken the first steps to recovery and despite her trauma, Kim empathetically rejects the label victim. She is a survivor and this is her story. So it's time for another story time. We haven't done one for a while. And this is one that is, is a real privilege for me to do. It's also the, probably the most nervous I've been in quite a long time. We're talking to Kim O'Reilly, whose story you may have heard play out in the media over the past, well, since 2019, really. And I'll let her, her tell her story. And then I'm going to say thank you. But first of all, thank you for joining us, Kim, from Melbourne. It's great to have you. This is exciting. Thank you. It is pretty exciting, but you are all over the place talking to ministers and decision makers and people that can actually make a difference. I'm sure there's probably not many people around Sunraysia that don't know your story, but do you quickly just want to give us a recap and how, how you came to be in the position that you're in now? Yeah, sure. Um, so in 2019, in January 16th, to be precise, I was um, assaulted by my partner at the time um, pretty badly. Um, I um, had some pretty severe injuries. I had a broken eye socket, um, broken teeth. I had um, you know a hip injury and a back injury. So um, it wasn't um, the nicest experience. Um, but uh, he was eventually charged with intentional to cause serious injury, um, which is one of the highest assault charges. Uh, He was also charged with um, unlawful imprisonment um, along with many others. He was uh, sentenced for six years and two year alcohol exclusion order. He also um, appealed that sentence. um, And as of December last year, his appeal was dismissed. In June, 2019, he was, bailed by a judge in he four days later he was allowed to play sports so he was allowed to play football for Dimbula on the Saturday um and it was posted all over social media by the Sunday so I was still in rehab still learning how to drive again still learning how to walk properly again um so yeah it's been a bit of an experience it's been a very long long journey um but I shared my story on a social media page at the end of 2020 um And it just circulated and got um, a lot of feedback, especially in regards to the sports side of it. Um, And it's just kind of taken off that, you know, people have noticed that, you know, there's something not right here with domestic violence and we need to do something about it. So that's where it's taken us to today. We've got a campaign called It's Never Okay. And 
it's been built up over the last 12 months especially um, to basically educate and bring awareness to domestic violence especially in sports over the last 20 years I mean even over the last since since you've come out with your story the conversation's been amplified to the point now we're in the Sunraysia Football Netball League we have a whole round dedicated to family violence and it's never okay so congratulations like these are conversations that are hard but yeah so important when your then partner was um able to play football at Dimbula after all of this had happened how public was it at this point I mean he'd obviously been through the courts and he'd been charged and there was orders so the club knew what was going on didn't they oh yeah so um it was six months into it um I think oh gosh maybe the you know a couple of weeks after what had happened it was on the front page of the paper so um you know it was quite it was in the ABC you know in papers um it was definitely out there so they were very well aware of it and I it, um his ex-partner before me came forward um as well so it wasn't just myself he was you know being charged for two assaults on two different women so everyone was very aware of it um it's just a you know a, lapse in morals and judgment I think but it's a lapse in morals judgment decency common sense by like this is not the that's not a decision that's made by one person that's a decision that's made by a committee and a footy department and yeah you know so this is just not a brain fart that one person's hadn't gone oh I didn't (laughs) consider that this is something that's gone through a committee meeting gone yeah it's okay you know we'll let him play Definitely. And it also went through one president who um, was not going to allow him to play um, and then he stood down and then the new president came on board and allowed him to play. So, um, yeah, it's definitely, I think it's, you know, it just shows that there's something wrong with the culture where you want to win a flag over, a, um, you know, over the right thing to do. But, yeah, it was a big game. You know, he handed uh, his, uh, his father jump, handed his jumper down to him and, you know, it was this big game according to them but um I don't think it's important enough to allow him to play ways out and bail I mean he broke it you know three times in five weeks and went back in so I think that just shows how much of a bad mistake they made I don't think anything I mean that yeah it illustrates to one point but I just now looking back on it the club in hindsight I mean a president stepped down over this yeah you know and still to go through with it all just seems how did it make you feel did you feel from an emotional level from a gutted yeah absolutely I mean you know my we grew up around a football club and um just to know that he like could go out and get back to normal and just carry on as you know his his life was before while I was still struggling to you know even think about going back to work so I think um it was pretty. It was pretty insulting and pretty cruel. I think, especially when it was splashed all over social media and whatnot, um, kind of bragging about it. I think, and you know, a lot of a lot of my family members were offended. A lot of you know, my parents were offended. Um, I just think it wasn't the right thing to do for himself or for the club to make that decision. I don't think it was a decision that mm. they should have made. I mean, I could think of a lot of a lot of other adjectives that. I would perhaps use to describe it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. But like you say in the article that's in the autumn edition of the autumn issue of Mildura Living, it's not just 
a lot of times it's not just the physical stars that, scars that it leaves. It's the yeah. it's the emotional scars and the psychological scars yeah. that it leaves. And having that, having it splashed in front of your face. Yeah. Did, did that make cruel. you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. really, really cruel. I, even now, if, you know, um, if he was still allowed to go and play now, I'd be insulted because I'm still, you know, I still have to get needles in my face. I still, you know, have issues with my hip since the bike ride I've had really, really big issues. Um, so, it, you know, my life doesn't get to go on. I'm just moving with the motions. Sometimes it's 10 steps forward. Sometimes it's 15 back. So um, it's, it's, I don't understand how people can not take it seriously or not think what's fair and what's not fair and what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. Mm. And I think, um, unfortunately, that football club, you know, when they think they're so far right, it's just like, it's not, not humane, like it's not human to think like that. I just, no. I'm not sure what's happening here. And I think I think you said it by mistake then, but it is inhumane to do yeah. that to another person. The yeah. mind boggles. But with your campaign and your bike ride, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but with your campaign and you talking about this now, it's given a voice to so many, and I'm going to try and hold it together here, it's given a voice to so many people that may not have ever spoken about it. And watching your campaign silently from the background and then reading your article in Mildura Living and then being asked to do a podcast with you. Um, I have never said it before, but when you say in, in your article that you're not a victim, you're a survivor, I thought, you know what, 21 years on from me going through physical violence and six years of coercive control and just being in an awfully abusive relationship and never have said saying it out loud ever before that I am a survivor of domestic violence and now hold it together but I've got you to thank for that so thank you and I'm really Um, appreciative because back then 21 years ago but 21 years ago when that all went down and I was living in a small little flat in Paran with my then partner, you know, police were called not by me but by my neighbours. It was a case of they came in, he went back to just going to bed and it was a case of the cops coming in and saying, oh, well, he's back in bed, go and stay with a friend. And that was it. There was nothing else. It was... Yeah, so we've come a long way, but I think, well, I hope we've come a long way because now at least, you know, we can talk about it now and it's not something, you know, if 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 there is police involvement, then things actually happen. Whereas in the past, yeah. when it happened to me, it was go and stay with a friend and I was like, he has controlled yeah. me for six years. I have zero yeah. friends. I have zero network. There is nothing I can do. I need some help here. And it was kind of like, well, our hands are tied, you know, yeah, we can see you've got some bruises, but you're not bleeding. What do you Uh, want us to do? That's true. Yeah. That's, uh, I think, yeah, I like, I I guess I'm like, I was lucky. I, you know, um, I, you know, a family member went through it for many, many years and the way she was treated just like breaks my heart and just I don't know how anyone could go through it, um, you know, 
for as long as what she did. And I think, you know, that long ago, how people were treated and victim blamed and, um, you know, a very different attitude towards it and a very different culture back then. Um, I feel, still think we've got a long way to go, but, you know, to be treated like that, especially by people that are supposed to, you know, make you safe um, mm. with police, I think is really, really unfortunate. And, you know, there is still some police officers that are like that out there, unfortunately, but I feel like there's a lot more that are a lot understanding and a lot more that are in the position, you know, in family violence or sexual assault units that, you know, need to be there and they should be there because they actually, um, you know, look after you and they save your life and they move you on to the next, you know, chapter. I think I was really, really lucky with the detective that I got. Um, He was amazing. He, you know, he got me to the next stage of my life like um you know and the police officers that helped me that night if that wasn't for them helping me you know I would not be here I definitely Mm. would have had my life ended that night so I think you know there's a lot of police officers out there that don't get enough credit these days um or don't you know people don't understand their role and what they have have seen and you know they have to go to their families um so yeah I think we've come a long way but there's still a lot to go but um you know Back then compared to now, I think, you know, we we are protected that little bit more and I think um, we need to be protected even more. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, back then, I, you are a survivor. You should be very proud of yourself because it's not easy. I don't know how, you know, I would have went if the tables were turned a little bit. Once you say it, you kind of feel lighter. And I think I've mentioned it because we do have um, our senior sergeant, Robin Bale, um, Dale Long on all the time. And we love we love our local constabulary. But you're right. Things are so different now. And they unfortunately see this. Yeah. Daily. All the time. Daily. And it's just the whole landscape of it. And what some of the things that our local police must see um, is just horrific. Um, At least now, as far as um, as far as counseling and therapy and all of that kind of stuff how how much did you have available to you was it something that was immediate did you take advantage of it um yeah absolutely I mean I had help um straight away when I was able to I mean you're not looking to talk to someone um in therapy wise for quite some time you've just kind of got to heal your bruises and your scars a little bit um but there is a lot available, but I always wonder, you know, why isn't there anything available of my family or my parents type thing? I think that's a really big gap in our system where we don't have that sort of stuff that's readily available for our family members. You know, I think my mum and dad, my sister and brother, or, you know, even a friend that, um, you know, didn't take what happened to me um, that well and it's really, you know, scarred them. I think, you know, that sort of thing needs to be available, but I grabbed it with both hands and I still do. You know, I'm still in therapy and I think it's a great way for me to, and I think it's a great way for anyone um, to, you know, go through those motions where you blame yourself or you still have this guilt. And I think, um, you know, I'm still in that stage and haven't come out the other side of it, but I think it's a really good outlet for women to be able to go and, you know, get through that so that they can move on. Because I think um, that's a big part of your healing is to, talk about it and accept what's happened and to, you know, put the blame in the right place and put the guilt in the right place. I think that's a big part of you moving on. So I think that's a, 
a really, really important thing to bring up because mental health is a big part of it. Um, mm. yeah, mental health definitely deteriorates. When you talk about guilt and putting your guilt in the right place, yeah. And one of the terms that I've heard is, um, you know, pushing him to a point where he hits or he pushes yeah. or he pushes, you know, all that kind of victim blaming type yeah. stuff. When you say you've you've got guilt, yeah, what's is does that come from that kind of thing that that because this is like you say it's never yeah. okay. So what kind of guilt are you talking about? Um, I think I go through a lot of emotions like back and forth, um, especially with, I, you know, I get um, guilty about what, you know, could have happened that night. Maybe if I, you know, had not spoken back that night or if I had, you know, answered this question differently, maybe if I tried to react differently to what I normally would, would it have turned out like that? You know, would everyone's life have been turned upside down if I'd done different things? Um, or, you know, if I'd left sooner, maybe, you know, um, this would never have happened. But then I also go through survivor's guilt. I get that, you know, whenever something's on the news, I go through that um, guilt of, you know, someone and their children have not survived and I have, like, I don't understand it. Um, you know, I'd much rather someone with their children survived than myself so it's like it's an ongoing battle you have within yourself and you've just got to keep fighting to get through it because it can overtake you and it does not take you to a nice place mm. um but that's where that therapy absolutely has helped me personally um maybe it isn't for everyone but I think it's a really big important thing a part of everyone's recovery but um yeah guilty is a big you know it's getting me emotional thinking about it but guilty is a big part of why you step back 10 steps when you're going ahead, you know, mm. many more. So, yeah, unfortunately that's a really big part um, that holds you back. It's, it's so, it's great to hear you talk about it because it's great that you're aware of it because yeah. for a lot of us, and I'm not unique in, in, in my own situation, uh, particularly if it's a historic thing where we didn't talk about mental health, we never talked about domestic violence, yes. everything happened behind closed doors and you just put it away and never talk about it again. And and that's, yes. this is what happened. And then later in life, things rear their ugly head or, yeah. or whatever. Sure. So at least you're aware of it and working through it. And that yeah. takes, that must take so much strength every day to, to get up and have those those internal discussions with yourself um, because it's not your fault and there is no guilt and it doesn't, you know, I can say whatever I want and and everybody else can say whatever they want, but internally yeah. it's, yeah. yeah, it's your own battle. So it is definitely, definitely eats at you. Um, mm. It's definitely, you know, the one thing that you go back and forth with um, and I think that's what makes I think my confidence and my lack of decision-making um, really poor because now I'm not very confident in making decisions. Um, I think because I always go back and forth with that guilt, you know, that I've made the wrong decisions type thing. So um, I think it's a really important part, um, yeah, of the healing process and, you know, the emotions that women go through um, after domestic violence is that guilt and, you know, how they can make decisions going forward and are they making the right decision and that sort of thing. So it's definitely a ongoing battle I probably you know go over it 
hundreds of times a day. So, yeah. How do you how do you quiet that that voice, that guilty voice in your head? Do you have management strategies that you use? Yeah. So I'm I I take it out exercising. Um, I'm definitely uh, someone that will go outside and go for a ride or, you know, exercise. So that's my coping mechanism. Um, sometimes, you know, I can't get out of bed and I choose to stay there and not move for a day. So, um, and that's me coping, you know, that's me just going through the motions of, um, what it's like to have PTSD and anxiety. So, um, it depends on the day and it depends what it's like. Cause sometimes, you know, you can't, can't control it and no matter what you do you, you don't feel good so mm. um exercise is definitely mine but also you know talking to someone um therapy wise that is definitely a big help that definitely you know when they reassure you and that when they go over things that you know it's not your fault it makes you feel better because in my mind they're a stranger you know so they're not just saying it to me out of love or care they're saying it to me because it's actually right mm. so i think that's I, a big thing and it is right. And until yeah. what 20 minutes ago, we were strangers as well. Yeah. And to hear you say that you still suffer guilt. And, you know, I have 20 odd years of hindsight behind me where I now know that, yeah, yeah I could have left five years earlier. I could have left at the first red flag or, yeah. you know, the, at the first physical push or, you know, when the coercive control really started to, you know, all of yeah. that. I've had 20 odd years of hindsight. And then to hear yeah. you say that you're still guilty that you've made wrong decisions. It's not your fault. It's no, yeah, never, it's never anyone's fault. It's never, a, sorry, it is someone's fault. Yeah, it's the person that raises is. a hand. It's their yeah. fault. It's yeah. not your fault. It's not my fault. It's not the one in three women that go through this because unfortunately yeah. these stories are really common. And, yeah. and like I said, you know, your story has empowered me and I hate the word empower because I think it's a bit of a cliche but I really do yeah. feel empowered that now this is being talked about and this yeah. happened to me all those years ago and now I can finally say it and I identify with this story and that's okay because that yeah. wasn't my fault either and it's not your fault so yeah um so yeah again I just I just want to say how powerful even this this conversation and this podcast, yeah. your article and all of the stuff that you've done so far, um, including the bike ride has oh, been yeah. and, and will continue to be. Let's talk about the bike ride. Let's try and lift the mood a little bit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the bike ride, you did yeah. what? Mildura to Melbourne. Melbourne uh, to Mildura. Melbourne to Redcliffs, yeah. 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 So about 70Ks a day. Yeah, around 70Ks. One day we did 91. On the third day we did 91 just to get a little bit ahead of time and we were feeling pretty good about ourselves. So um, Amanda and Joe and I kept going. Um, yeah, so about 70Ks a day all around for seven days. For seven days. That not is... a professional cyclist at all, by the way. So. No, <laughs> but even <laughs> for professionals, hard. yeah. Uh, how was your bum after that? Because sitting on a bike is not, not comfortable. It, no, not at all. I, I wasn't as, I, we were, I did not pull up half as bad as I thought I would. Um, my hip was giving me a lot of, because of my hip injury, it was giving me a lot of grief probably by day six. I really struggled. I almost bowed out like I was hanging on for dear life. But um, it, yeah, it, nowhere near as sore as what I thought. The next day I didn't think um, after, you know, a rest day, I didn't think I'd be able to um, get up or anything like that. But I was up around 
cruising around, but it's you're tender. Don't get me wrong, you're definitely tender, <laughs> but you're not half as sore as what you think you would be. I think maybe training might have helped, but I probably would have liked to have trained a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> your legs How are much- definitely sore. You notice a difference in your legs for sure. Yeah. How much training did you do leading up to it? Uh, I was doing, I could do 40Ks a couple of times a week, uh, probably six months out. Um, and then we had to move the day due to COVID. Um, so it was supposed to be in November, which I'm glad we didn't because of the heat. Um, mm. And I ended up having to go back to court. So we did it. Um, yeah, in April this year, which was beautiful because we had perfect weather up until the last two days and it started raining and the wind. Um, but, but yeah, it was around 40 Ks a day, but my hips started giving me grief probably six weeks out. So I started to die off a little bit um, and got a bit slack and probably did around 10 a day. Um, so <laughs> Still, it was a bit that's... of a shock to the system. <laughs> but that's miles in your legs and it works up. I think you're right. Sitting on a bike... Like you just need to work up that. It sounds weird, but that it's almost like a callus on your bum where it gets used to sitting in a bike seat. Change your seat over all the time. God, it was have those gel cushion seats. Um, (laughs) But I forgot about it. I forgot by the third day. I was like, I haven't even changed my seat. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just stick with it. There's no point changing it now. Um, but the seat and the pants that you wear absolutely make a difference. Oh, absolutely. I was just going to (laughs) say, did you wear the full bib bike short? Yep, the yep. bike shorts I did yep. for sure. Yeah, they, they do make Fashion a difference. statement all over. Well, they don't look great. Nobody no. looks great in those things, but they do make, they, they are functional. You. Exactly, yep, exactly. So you did a lot of talking throughout this bike ride as well, didn't you? Did you stop off at like Nullarwool and a few clubs along the way? No, so we ended up, due to it being Anzac weekend, um, quite a few farmers were out um, doing their seeding and whatnot. So we didn't quite plan it that well. Um, but we did with um, Sailor, uh, sorry, with Charlton and Witchy Proof. We're actually going back there for the domestic violence round in two weeks, um, which is fantastic to speak to the netballers and the hockey players um, out there. Um, but also Oyun, um, Oyun were fantastic. We had a, um, you know, like a went to their training night on the Thursday night and ate dinner with them and went through it all because they're signing the policy. Um, so yeah, it was quite, it was, Witchy Proof was amazing. They were fantastic. Um, it was quite an uplifting experience until the last probably 24 hours. Um, it was a really, really good experience and, you know, it was pretty emotional too. We spoke to a lady in Witchy Proof that, you know, has gone through things many, many years ago and yeah, it was a pretty, it was really, really special. Mm. Yeah. That, that lady, yeah, that, that you spoke to though, has probably buried it similar yeah. to a lot of us would, have, yeah. you know, has probably never spoken about it before, has probably never admitted it to herself. And then no. along comes Kim on her bike and, you know, <laughs> creating conversations. But I, I just hope you know how life-changing like a bike ride or you having a conversation with these women can be because it is yeah. absolutely life-changing. Yeah, I you know, I always hope, you know, I hope what, we're doing is you know is making that difference I guess I don't I don't really see it but that's where also that guilt comes in again is that where I, I'm you know not quite confident in what we're doing is enough um I just feel like I want to do more and do more and do more but you know it's it's not it's not good for myself or anyone else to be able to push yourself to the limit and try and get everything um you know happening all at once we've got it there's a process that we need to follow 
um, you know, and I hope that process is still helping people along the way, um, especially with the bike ride. I really hope um, it did bring that awareness to those small towns and, um, you know, that lady hadn't spoken to anyone and um, it was really good to hear her story. You know, I th even talking to you, like I think when you talk to someone that's been through it, there's an understanding that I think, you know, people that haven't don't really get. Mm. I, I don't think, you know, some people that I know that haven't been through it actually truly understand the depth of what it does to you as a person. Um, so, yeah, I hope, yeah, the bike ride did, you know, did do something for someone. I don't think unless you've been through it, I mean, you can see physically what it does to you. Yeah. Um, but unless you have been through it, you don't actually know what it does to your psyche. Um, no. Yeah. I just, it, yeah. I, yeah. I always say that, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a different person now. I'm definitely not the same person. And I don't, I, I don't think that I'll ever get back to being that person. Um, but I am a, like, you're a work in progress and you work towards, you know, being or understanding the person you are now. And I think that's a really big thing for people to understand is that, you know, the, that person that you once were gets taken away from you by that person. And, yep. um, you know, you never get that back because that person stripped you of that. Mm. And I think, you know, unless you've actually been through it, to understand it um, is really, really hard. Mm. Um, of course, they're sensitive and, you, you know, sympathetic to the fact. But, um, you know, until I went through it, I didn't really understand it. Mm. I didn't really understand what it does to a person or a family. Um, you can't. You can't. No. Speaking of your family, um, we were talking before about therapy and how it would be great for there to be those counselling options or someone to talk to for family, yep. carers, friends, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think your parents, because I don't think that I've ever actually had this conversation with my own father. I don't think he oh, knew. Well, yeah. Um, probably haven't told my mum to a certain point, but I, I'm absolutely sure that if I did, and there were those options there that my dad being of that boomer generation probably wouldn't yeah. have gone to counselling anyway. Do yeah. you think your parents would have? Uh, I think um, together they would have um, mm. for sure. I mean, yeah, my um, mum and dad are definitely someone that believes in therapy for you but it's not for them yeah, um yeah. so I think yeah definitely but I think together they would have um gone together as um you know my parents to go and talk to someone because I think you know there is that built-up anger for my dad um and that idea of you know my mum not being able to didn't protect me I think you know they carry guilt as well mm. um so I think it, it it's a as much as they don't want to admit it it would be good for them um you know, and my sister and my brother would absolutely go. Um, I think if, you know, it was offered as an option and I just don't think there was that um, offer. You know, you can, it, you can always say no, but it's just that offer and support that I think needs to be given that there's definitely mm. a lack of. Um, mm. But, yeah, I would hope that my mum and dad would go as a couple. Yeah. Mm. It might be one of those cracks that, that gets filled just by you putting it out there by having these conversations and going, you know what, there's a, there's a crack here and this could be really yeah. easily filled. Just I always by... think about it because of people's parents or, you know, younger siblings or, um, you know, as I said before, a friend of mine was quite affected by it. And I just think, you know, we need to do something for them too because it's quite, it's, I would never imagine seeing a family member the way, you know, in the shape that I was, you know, swollen you know, face, one eye closed and limping around. Like I, I would not, I would need to go and talk to someone and understand what I've just gone through 
um, and what that person's just gone through. And mm. I think, you know, if that offer was there, I would definitely go and take it. Um, but it's just the fact that it's not there. It's not that easy to ex- like to access. And I think that's, it, it's a massive thing that's missing. And I think about it all the time. So I think these poor parents. Yeah. So, you you know, know, I've never actually even thought about it. I'm I'm glad you've brought it up because, you know, we've done a lot of, my husband and I have done a lot of work around mental health, in particular men's mental health and walking mental health clinics. So it's really accessible. But from the point of view that you're talking about, so on that night I had to go to a work colleagues. And, yes, we were friends, but I didn't really have any friends at that point because they'd all been stripped away from me. So if I think about what you're talking about, that must have been horrific for her because we weren't that close. Um, yeah. It would have been nice, I suppose, then. You know, I don't know how she's feeling. We never kind of spoke about it since. It was just kind of, oh, that exactly. happened. Okay, move yeah. on with life and put a smile on your dial and move on. For so sure. I've never actually really thought about that before and how yeah. it affected her. Yeah. Well, I think about how it affects me when I, you know, like I have you know, videos play over, over in my head about that night. And I think about how it affects me and makes me feel. And I can't imagine how it would make, you know, someone, or even for um, this young girl in your situation that didn't even really know you, imagine how it would make someone feel if they, you know, if, you know, they're your loved one. Mm. That would be traumatic. And I think, you know, we need to look after the people that have, they're going through it just as much as I am. Um, so I think there's a real support system or lack thereof that we need to um, look at. And I think, you know, we had Orange Door and whatever else it was, um, but, you know, no one offered, you know, mum and dad or my sister or brother if they needed that kind of support for themselves or, um, you know, to talk to someone. Even all Mm. this time later, you know, going through the court process was absolute hell for my mum and Mm. dad. Um, You know, I was physically sick the night before and the day of and the day after. So I think, you know, and then to even go through that and see that, have it all brought up and then, you know, at the time put in the paper Um, because I never told mum and dad about a lot of details, um, you know, but it was in the paper and it was heard out in court. um, So they had to hear it like that. Um, And I think, you know, it's traumatic in itself. So I think, you know, we need to have these, you know, places that are safe for our loved ones to be able to go to to talk about it. It's the same if someone was hurt on the street. You know, that person would um, need help and the peak onlookers would probably need some sort of support. Mm. So I think, you know, yeah, it's definitely a crack in the system. Yeah. So I'm working Hopefully, on it. Yeah. <laughs> You're working on a lot, of, a lot of things. And like I said, even just the conversations and you having, you know, being out there now um, yeah. just makes, I just want you to know that it, it it makes a huge difference. Like it is enough. You are enough. You are doing more than enough because it's changing lives. It's, it's allowing people, not just women. Um, you know, there are instances, even in my close circle of friends where it's, you know, the shoes on the other foot and things like that. So it's, it's people that you're empowering to go, you know what, I've been through this and I've survived as well. Um, and it's okay to talk about it. So, um, the, the thing that we do need to touch on is the, the policy, it's never okay. So how do we get clubs on board? Yeah, so basically we've got a website that's in the middle of the works are being built. So, um, you know, down the track, everything will be 
um, accessible down there. Um, on there, but I think for now we need to have these one-on-ones. So you know, the other night I went to Redcliffs. Um, you know, I was like, you know, to go. I even struggled to go there by myself because it's male-dominated. Um, but I got myself together and I went and had these conversations. And you know, I think to explain um, or ask them why they think they need the policy first, because it's not something that just needs to be signed and put at the back, you know, of the desk. Um, it's something that will need to be signed every year and it's a no violence tolerancy policy. So um, each club has a set of guidelines through this policy. If someone is charged with assault, they'll be stood down for a two week minimum um, so that the club can do their own investigation. I um, still feel like two weeks is not enough. Oh, for sh- oh yeah. Do you know what? <laughs> if I had, you know, my, um, my, just my mind made up and just, I was, could have life decision. Um, it was definitely a lot longer than that, but having talking to clubs and talking to the police and things like that, um, the club needs to hold their own investigation. So obviously innocent till proven guilty because um, those charges may be dropped or not proven down the track. So um, unfortunately we can't, um, you know, we can't have consequences for people that it hasn't been, you know, proven. So um, we need to make sure we're very careful about it and, you know, two weeks is just for the committee to hold its own, basically, integrity, you know, com- um, investigation, and then they can come back, they can make their own mind up whether it could be six weeks um, or 12 months, but it's definitely a two-week minimum um, for them to be able to look into things. I think it's, it, the committee definitely becomes an integrity team where they need to make these decisions, not only for, you know, their team players, but also for, you know, their people that come and watch every week, like the crowds that come and watch, the children that play netball, the, you know, volunteers and all that sort of thing. So it becomes a really big job. So I think in the policy, it's very, very black and white. It's very laid out. Um, you know, there's no if, buts and whys and whatever else. It's um, to be followed. And if you want to become an It's Never Okay club, then, uh, like, you need to uphold this. There's an investigation, you know, report that they'll need to fill out um, and make sure that it's followed up on. So everything's, you know, reported, recorded um, and that sort of thing. But I think it's really important that the clubs and the communities go around and ask their, you know, their players, do you think we should do this? Do you think this is needed? Um, Because you can say it's needed, but are you going to follow through with, you know, the protocol when it comes time to investigate one of your um, club members mm. so I think it's really really important that they do it for the right reason um, but we go around to you know clubs and have that conversation and then we'll go around and have the chat to the club itself um, and then the next time we get them to sign the policy um, and then we'll you know sit there we'll have uploaded videos and um, training videos and all of that kind of club access um, and educational we'll have you know we can organize um, police officers or um, someone you know in Orange Door or Mallee Family Care to be able to go um, and help us with education and awareness um, if it's needed so th- yeah there's a lot to it it's basically just giving support um, to them if they need help with the policy or upholding it or explaining it um, and making sure we deter you know people from making the wrong decision so mm. yeah it's all there um, it's all um you know ready to go if anyone has any questions they're more than welcome to contact myself or Alf or Wayne um from it's never okay and yeah we can take it from there but I think clubs need to get on board I would hate to be the last club that doesn't sign it to be yeah. honest I think yeah. 
<laughs> um, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've had quite a few clubs come forward, you know, from basketball to cricket and all of that sort of thing. So I'd hate to be the last legal club that doesn't jump on board and think it's as serious as drugs and alcohol or, you know, mm. sexual harassment. Um, I think it should be right in there beside it. So. Absolutely. And it's a great, I suppose it's, it's a great framework for clubs in how yep. to deal with it. If it does, you know, in the awful event that it does pop up, at least there's a framework there that they can, that clubs can work to. For sure. I mean, you wouldn't know what to do unless you've been through it, as we've said. So I think having that guide, um, you know, that step-by-step guide on, you know, if things eventuate with the um, charges and it goes down to a different track, then there's, you know, also guidelines in there for that and how it should be dealt with um, accordingly. But I think, you know, it's definitely up to each club. We're not telling them how to run their club. Um, it's purely to deter people from making the wrong decision because, you know, when you're a sports player, you love the sport. Um, you know, it's a part of your life. And I think that if that's taken away from you, then you're probably going to think about making the wrong decision. Yeah. And it's a shame it comes down to that, but that's, it's the reality of it. Absolutely. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it'll be a big deterrent for people because I think you can't go out there. I mean, look at Jordan Dugowie. How many times has he been in trouble and he's still allowed to come back and play? So. What a little grub he is. Yeah. <laughs> and and it is like even things like him, he's been in trouble over and over again. Yeah. And there are, and it mostly the people that I talk to are women that just roll their eyes and go, he's a grub. How on earth has he still got a job? Oh, I like the word grub that just goes He's a little grub. Um, yeah, he's a grub. He's definitely a grub. But I just, things like that. And I think when, you know, country towns look at that, they're like, oh, well, that person's allowed to play. They didn't do anything about it. And I just think it's such a bad example. So that's why, you know, I think, you know, I've had meetings with the AFL and whatnot, and they're not in the right frame of mind to make this change. So I think regional Victoria changing it and showing them up, I think it's the best way to do it. Um, you know, I really think uh, regional Victoria has got a definitely a big stand to make. And I think, you know, I'm going to be really proud to be able to walk in there to the AFL desk one day and show them what we're trying to do out here. Gosh, I hope you do. And, you know, the <laughs> AFL may have lost touch with the common man, but you are well and truly in touch with it. And <laughs> it's such it's such a good thing. So I'm hoping that, um, you know, Robin Vale do get on board and, and sign the policy and I'll I'll certainly take it to the committee um, and try and get it through. But have you had lots of clubs from all over regional Victoria or is it Sunraysia mainly? No, all over. And yeah, like it's all over and all over different sports. Like it's it's been amazing. Like, you know, I'm really excited to talk to the hockey um, association and whatever else. So um, you know, the Cricket Association in Sunraysia is doing it, but other clubs from um, different leagues have jumped on board. So I'm really, yeah, it's, I think the bike ride did bring that awareness. So I'm really mm. proud of it. But, um, you know, it's not a positive, it's not a negative thing, sorry, to take this on board. It's absolutely positive. It's only moving in the right direction and saying we're mm. going to go down this road, um, you know, and make sure that we do it right rather than go down this road and, you know, screw it all up and probably hurt someone's, life down the road so yeah yeah only a yeah. positive oh it is you've done such a magnificent job congratulations on the bike ride because that Thank is you. that's not an easy feat so well done well done on just having the conversation and being strong enough and able enough now to empower yeah. others to to have the conversation you are really really and truly changing people's lives and making people lighter and leaving people better than you found them and that's 
kind of what we aim to do every day. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Again, if any of this has been triggering for you, please contact 1800RESPECT, 1800-737-732 or services such as Lifeline on 13 11 14. As I said at the top of the show, Kim is keen to keep the conversation going and will do that at her leisure and there's absolutely no pressure, but I think we'll get a lot out of it. Until then, take care of each other. Thanks for listening to The Vale Podcast. Find more local stories in Mildura Living Magazine.